if you go to an Italian restaurant, say you like Italian food, and you know that you want the ravioli with the pumpkin, like this, that, and the other thing, you remember the next day that you said yes to that thing on the menu. Yeah. It's pretty easy. That's what I wanted. I got it. Why is having sex with someone or sexual interaction with someone any different? Looks like you've officially entered the group chat with your best friends. My name is Ali Pintucci, and this is the Unfiltered Podcast, the place where we leave the heavily filtered world of social media to talk about anything and everything uncensored. From personal wellness to entrepreneurship, spirituality, sex, surviving breakups, and hilarious girl talk in between, this is the space for important conversations that women should be having with their best friends. So pour yourself a glass of whatever makes you feel good, sit back, and join me as I navigate adulthood with real, unfiltered conversations. Hi. Hello. How are you? I am really well today. It feels really nice to be back. I have a confession for you, actually. Yes. (laughs) So I've tried to be a patient of yours for a really long time. For the life of me, have not been able to get into your practice. Like a few of my friends have seen you and you know Taryn Gruel? Yes. Yeah. Amazing. She's like your number one fan. Oh. Anyway, she she I've been going through so many like body things mm-hmm. and she was like, You have to go see Ailey, you have to go see her. And I was like, I don't think she's taking new clients. So maybe this is my in. <laughs> my end to the clinic. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show today because somatic therapy in general to me is like not a new concept, but it's still, I feel like so foreign to so many people. Um, And sometimes I feel it's kind of like a more difficult concept for people to wrap their head around. So I kind of want to dive into a little bit about what somatic therapy is but also I want to really go into like stored traumas in the body and how that kind of like manifests into our life and how people can start to like tune into that to make some changes. I love it. This is one of my favorite places to be. So I'm okay. Excited. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I won't butcher what somatic therapy is because I'm not the expert. So I'll let you dive in and tell us a little bit, not only about what it is, but how you actually like navigated into this space yeah so as a therapist one of my value systems as a human is transparency so I always say I came to the space of somatics really naturally I understand it has a really beautiful nuance and a cliche and it's super sexy right now and I and I honor that and for me it it was very natural so I grew up in the dance industry training at a really high level And while I was there, I was experiencing a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of sexual violation. And the place for me where I could process and feel and and move what was happening to me was when I was dancing. And so there wasn't a conscious link of like, I'm processing the painful thing that just happened to me two hours ago on the dance floor, but that is what I was doing. So that movement and relationship with the body is really what somatic therapy is about. It's like, what have we stored? What has happened? What's in our central nervous system? What have we unprocessed? And can we activate the body to move it through? 
So instead of creating a, a story or finding a story or making meaning, we're actually using the body to metabolize to find the meaning that's already there. Because our body does have this natural kind of really harmonious and state of equilibrium. And it's, it's really for the mind to soften so we can find that in ourselves. You know, as a child, I didn't know what I was doing. But I do know that movement is the thing that saved my life. And that's why, you know, somatics for me is there's nothing else I could do. This is what I've done my whole life. And I love it. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. I guess I never even I always so I danced as a kid, too. I guess you kind of just totally disassociate or don't relate that it's just like a form of like you think, oh, yeah, dance is a creative expression. Mm -hmm. Um. But I had never actually thought that or even maybe being an athlete or mm-hmm. finding ways to move your body being a, a source of output to release energy. Absolutely. Like stored negative energy. Maybe just boxing because sometimes when I'm mad, I'm like, I'm going to go fuck shit up right now. Yeah. I just need to like scream and hit a bag. <laughs> so maybe maybe a little bit, but. And I think a lot of the ways some of these practices, especially around dance or athleticism, is really curated. And we've lost that connection, that intelligence. And so, you know, dance inherently isn't a somatic practice in the same way that nothing is inherently a somatic practice. It's the consciousness. It's like the honoring that my body holds every unconscious experience. Like our brain takes in 0.00001% of our perceptual awareness. The body takes in the rest. So it's when we have that consciousness to listen to the body and let movement come from there, then it's a somatic practice or else it's not. It's just movement. That's so crazy. So you're working with your clients on like moving them around. Like, do they kind of just surrender to movement and you're just like flailing their arm or something (laughs) or like, like what, what does someone kind of, what can someone like anticipate from being in a session? Yeah. So if you go down into like the deep end of like where I was in Greece, kind of in my somatic kind of training bubble, then yeah, you're around like 50 women who are like in their sixties and we're just like dancing around flailing. That's not when you get and when you come to a session. Oh my god, it actually sounds amazing. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That was amazing. Um, but when you come to a session, we do kind of go in this really slow process because we've been so trained to communicate and have a conception that healing comes through story creation, which is so important. That gives us emotional regulation. But in a somatic session, it's a lot of questioning around as you're telling the story. As a you know, a therapist, I've been trained to ask, like, what is the sensation? What is the image? What I'm noticing this movement in your body. Or when you said that there was a subtle shift in your affect, like what happened? Or I noticed this. What did you notice when you said that? And it's this really titrated, slow mindfulness of me tracking their body while holding the story, but I'm really interested in the present moment and their body's response. That's crazy. Do you find, and this is maybe just relating back to me, I feel like for so long I was so closed off and so unaware of my own existence, feelings, emotions, like, I, I think if I went to go see you five years ago, I don't even know if it would have worked. Like, does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Like, do you feel there's, like, a level of awareness someone has before they see you? 
Absolutely. So I don't find myself really working with people that are coming to psychotherapy for the first time. They usually have done a lot of work around like story creation and, and making meaning. And I really value that stuff because if we don't have a story and a conception of like, what the heck happened to me? We don't have central nervous system regulation and we need central nervous system regulation to be present and then do somatic processing. So I, you know, that is one of the reasons why I have sought training in psychoanalysis, which can be so cognitive and heady because I need to be sharp in those skills. I'm ever going to bring someone into their body. I think of cranial sacral therapy and the duality of those sessions of being the best thing for my nervous system and also the most frustrating thing. I'll be lying there and I'll get hands under my hip, mm-hmm. just holding it there. And I'm lying on the table. And first I feel like you're holding my left hip seven feet high in there. Like I'm on a full slant. Second, the anger that starts to build in my body is just mm-hmm. outrageous. I'm like, literally going through my head I'm like what the fuck is this girl doing like get on with it like hurry it up let's go like are we done there's this restlessness this pain and then we put it down and she'll like guide me through something and she's like okay like where were you when you were five and I'm like I don't know at school like I get so mad and the most interesting learning I I think that came from when I first started doing it was how blocked off I am to so many memories Mm -hmm. because when we would do some of that like time traveling stuff, be like, where were you when you were 20? Cool. 15. Cool. 10. Eight. Now I'm literally resorting to like, what was my picture on the first day of school? Like that's a memory I'm trying to like grasp onto because it's just blocked. Mm -hmm. Like my childhood memory for the most part is just blocked. Um, Can we talk about how normal that is and why that can happen? Absolutely. So unbelievably normal. So to give some context of the neurophysiological reasons for that, um, I'll speak about trauma, but this can apply to really anything that's overwhelming or new or novel. When we are um, children specifically, and I'll leave adults over there, but again, can apply in some ways. When we are children, we don't have that prefrontal cortex. So my ability to have ration and reason isn't fully online just yet. So what that means is it, it, it changes the ability to encode memories in our hippocampus and our amygdala threat response. And so because when we take in new information, it's not being laid down in the way adult memory is, there's alterations in you know, how it will be processed. Then you add in an experience of overwhelm. So you're overwhelmed, you're anxious, or something traumatic happens, your prefrontal cortex is totally offline. So if you can't make meaning to what's happening to you, how are you going to lay a memory down in such a way where you have a cohesive narrative? I want nothing to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Exactly. And so then what that means is it gets really encoded in the central nervous system and specifically in different responses. And if you've been socialized to be them identifying, that usually isn't the fight response or the flight response. And I I have a little bit of like, like terseness around this and how it's presented in, you know, kind of the male dominated psychological field is because most femme identifying people, their response is to fawn, is to tend and befriend, is to socialize. And what that does and why it's so important to talk about 
is because we, we know having a meaning is an emotional regulator. So if I self-deceive myself into a story where nothing happened, it didn't matter. Actually, it was just a rainy, beautiful picnic. Nothing happened here. This memory is not important. I've self-created this narrative. I'm deceiving myself about what's happened. My central nervous system is calm and therefore there's nothing to remember. So there's these two kind of alternative pathways. It's so overwhelming. It's just totally gone. Or when the trauma happened, I created a self-deceptive narrative that I was in control or it was fine or it was safe or I wanted it or it doesn't matter. And therefore I don't have to remember as well because there's nothing there. That's so interesting because up until being more aware and a bit more regulated these days, I felt like I was navigating through the world as such a highly reactive person. Um, constantly having to put out fires around me. Why is this always happening to me? But also not shocked that it's always happening to me because of course, why wouldn't it happen to me? This is my life. And it's like we make these subconscious choices that will guide us down the path to prove ourselves right that the bad things always have to happen to us. Did, did that come out of my mouth right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can look at the field of interpersonal neurobiology and Dr. Dan Siegel, and he talks about like um, neural pairing. So it's kind of this repetition, like Mm -hmm. I've done this thing, I know what's happening. I'm actually going to go find central nervous systems that feel like the ones that I know, or I'm going to go create experiences that feel that give me the same state I know. Or you can go back to problematic Freud And he talks about repetition compulsion and this desire to reenact. So we get the thing we never got in the past. The problem with the reenactment is all you do is re-traumatize yourself. Every time. Uh, Every time. I think the best way to put it into context would be like dating, for example. There's so many women, obviously, that are listening. And it's just like, and I'll even just relate it back to me. Uh, I'm not good enough. No one ever picks me. No one fights for me. Um... Like, of course, I'm getting broken up with. Of course, there's going to be another woman. There's just like all these things. But yet I'm choosing to date people that say they don't want relationships. So it's like, I don't want a relationship in me. I'm like, ah, fixer upper. I can change his mind. (laughs) So it's just like those cues where sometimes like, you know, we've been in situations in the past where I've been frustrated at men, but I'm like, why wasn't it enough when I heard the words, I don't want a relationship right now? And that's because there's some part of you when that got heard, it went, oh my God, amazing. An experience for me to change the story. And then it, ju- it just goes. And the adult consciousness is gone. And you're, you know, if you're me. This you're one will be different. <laughs> so it's like going on the roller coaster, you're like front row. You're like, sign yeah. me up. I'm who's coming on. I'm down. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You know, it, what's been interesting. So I'm actually going through a bit of a, I'm, I'm going through a breakup right now. Um, And this is a challenging one because I thought, not sorry, I thought, I know that this was hands down one of the most impactful relationships of my entire life. And yes, it was only seven months and yes, it was long distance. And yes, there were so many things not in my favor, but there were so, the the best part about it is, is that it was my first relationship that was so intentional 
um, after a deliberate no man died of choosing not to date, not to sleep around. You know, it was just the the relationship where I'm like, hey, it's time to integrate. And I waited until I found a person that made me feel safe to integrate those things and actually gave me a chance to rewrite those patterns and rewrite that story and deal with things in a comfortable way as they came up, even though comfortable sounds like a crazy way to say it because at the moment it did not feel comfortable. But I find it, I don't even know why I'm saying using the word interesting, but as soon as we go to breakup phase and it was hard for me to make that choice because it got to a point where, and he's not a bad person and I'm totally in love with him and there's just so many things. I just wasn't fully being met in the way that I had worked so hard to be met. And it was my chance to kind of really choose myself. And I had to actually say that, like, I'm never going to beg anyone ever again to choose me. Like I'm going to choose myself. Mm -hmm. And you would think in that moment, you would feel like fucking Beyonce because you're like, yeah, I chose myself. I'm the best. No, I've literally been crying for two weeks nonstop. And you still, it's still kind of it hits that wound of like, I still wasn't picked. I still wasn't good enough for him to make those changes. I still, and it's really interesting to see those still come up after like all of that. Mm -hmm. And the question is like, where does the expectation that that stuff will ever disappear come from? That's and, actually and, true. And is, and is it disappearing <laughs> that you, that you want? Like I, I have a part of me that, is very whimsical and very romantic and it's like oh my god romantic obstacle like I will I we're gonna it. get through it babe like <laughs> all the way I'm <laughs> <And> phoenix <laughs> exactly yeah. and now I I notice when that part of me comes up and I had a really you know, five years ago, I, I hated that part of me and I hate what it led me to do in relationship and, and what I would sacrifice for. But now when it comes up, I'm like, amazing, let's go to a creative practice because this part is so juicy and so this. Yeah. And I hear my clients oftentimes wanting to get rid of these these narratives and these stories and parts of self. And it's like, maybe they just need to become differently skilled because they have a skill set, a different action for them. And, and where is our expectation that this stuff is ever going to disappear coming from? Can, can that be released? Yeah, that's so interesting. I want to talk about like different parts of the body and stored trauma and emotion because, wow, this, this conversation can go a million ways. But <laughs> the first time I ever heard about somatic therapy, um, so a few years ago, I got diagnosed with PCOS. And the reason why I was diagnosed was because within eight weeks, I'd gained like 33 pounds and my face went from never having acne in my life to like the before photo of a proactive commercial. Mm -hmm. It was insane. Um, and I just looked at it from a completely physical standpoint, mm -hmm. like science, body, input, output will be a cure. At that point, I was not ever considering lifestyle, job, stress, depression, anxiety, how I viewed myself, um, alignment, spirituality, mm -hmm. like nothing. That was just, it was kind of at the beginning of me maybe exploring that world. And someone in my, I think actually maybe it was Shay 
was just like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but someone was telling me that this part is linked to self-hatred. I'm pointing to my jaw mm-hmm. um, of my skin because that's where I was breaking out a lot with cysts. But is that true? Self-hatred, I don't know. But I do know that this whole area is hormonally related. Yeah. So this kind of comes in my cue, always like POS and, and it's in that area. I go like reproductive health. What is your relationship to your pelvis? Like what is your relationship yeah. to sexuality? That's more and a lot of, you know, from a chakra based place. Yeah. A lot of that is like self-hatred, primal denial of self, denial of needs, wants, repression of that stuff. Yeah. I'm very, very curious to talk about this more in depth on the show because I think as women or just people in general, sorry, we don't always explore the idea of like big T, little T trauma. We associate trauma. And I argue with my mom about this all the time. She's like, you never went through anything traumatic. I'm like, first of all, that's not for you to decide. <laughs> but we we just associate and trauma with like a massive, really big event where you're like, okay, maybe that makes sense because that person went through X, Y, Z. But we don't talk about someone saying something really mean to me as a child in the schoolyard or someone walking by and something happening. And my parents may be going through something else or something in the distance with like money or me saying, me not actually wanting to engage sexually or in a specific way, but not saying anything, but not considering like any of those things trauma in our body. It's wild. Yes, absolutely. This is something that I am so passionate about because it's not what happens to you. It's, it's oftentimes really what happens next. So I can say with, you know, my history of sexual abuse and violation, one thing I always had, regardless of what had just happened to my body, I had a mother that I slept in her bed with until I was like 11, 12 years old. And I would crawl into bed and she would hold me and pat my head. And we just had this, like this look, like she knew I wasn't okay but I wasn't ready to say anything. And what I can look back on and really see now, now being really trained is that in this, is I had emotional regulation. I had central nervous system contact. I had touch, I had affect regulation, and I had someone seeing me. So even though it was like very horrendous what was happening, I had this cradling and this holding. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that, then the world is a very, very scary, traumatic, dark place for us, for all of us, regardless of your age or where your position, because we're here and we to be together and we find regulation through each other. Yeah. And so it isn't, you know, a breakup for one person who's just moved to a foreign country can be completely unraveling to the point of PTSD yeah. To someone who's experienced extensive abuse and but they have support and they have all this and that and the other thing and they don't develop PTSD. Yeah. It's not the event. It's it's what's around the event and what happens next. Yeah. Can we talk about common common areas of the body and like typically where parts of our body are storing things or types of events? Yeah, so um, so much of my practice has been around sexualized violence. So I find I have so many clients that are coming in with endometriosis, PCOS, 
um, pelvic inflammatory disease, like really big stuff in that area. And they'll, and they'll, they'll come in and they've, they've kind of heard what I, what I do around sexuality, or oftentimes they come in and they're like, I have all this reproductive trauma, this, that, and the other thing, but I like, I want to be able to have an orgasm. And I'm like, okay, well, there, there are lots of people who can teach you how to orgasm. I That's not really what I do, but like, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll talk about this. Yeah. But I'm really curious about like, what's going on in your mind-body system yeah. that's led to the development of this specific subset of physicality and physiology in this one area of your body. And then it's kind of the unpeeling of these types of things. Or like, you know, digestive issues, so much of that kind of churning is anxiety and this uncertainty and I haven't been able to use my voice or set boundaries so I'm just kind of absorbing everything and I don't know how to digest it and I don't know how to move forward mm-hmm. and so as a somatic kind of psychotherapist you start to to learn these things about your client's body and, and about bodies in general and how we process and store things physiologically and that doesn't mean there's a direct link sometimes there's not But there is so much beauty and fruitfulness in being curious about like, I know I struggle with this. What is this relationship to this part of my body? Or even my diagnosis in general. That for myself, as someone who's gone through a whole reproductive like thing, I'm so grateful that that was the mindset I had because it brought me into a different connection with myself my sexuality vitality creativity all of these things and and if i hadn't had all that reproductive health challenge and still do i don't i don't know if i would privilege my body's in that way that's so crazy i mean i think it's just overwhelming sometimes to figure out where you even start or what you're actually feeling it actually took me a really long time of like starting to do some sort of work can't even tell you what the first thing I did was but I feel like now after three years of consistently exploring it's like I'm finally getting to that layer where I'm like oh and it's not like I'm in this perpetual space of needing to be fixed Mm -hmm. it's more of like this curiosity and discovery because I feel like the more I start to feel safe I'm actually like unlocking little memories that I didn't have and sometimes they come out in an anxiety form like I'll be lying in bed and I'll just relive this moment over and over again like it just happened and I'm like that's really weird that this situation is coming to me right now absolutely and that is so common and I wish spoken about more like when we have support and safety there is this natural unfolding of the psyche it's like here's something from the unconscious for you to like play with and explore mm-hmm. as you've set the groundwork and have created the conditions for that to arise and so you know people often you know when things are good they're like okay bye you know I'm done with psychotherapy but those are actually the greatest moments to lean in yeah. to psychotherapy is when things are stable and relatively regulated because then this stuff can pop up and that stuff is running your life you just don't know it it's like never ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to like little T, big T trauma? Absolutely. So like what the difference is between the two? Because um, I want to also kind of have this as a gateway into um, sexuality. I know you work with like a lot of sexual trauma. Um, but I also 
want to talk a little bit about how it might be stored for women who don't think they might have necessarily gone through mm-hmm. sexual trauma and what that looks like. Yes. Um, so big T, little T trauma. Big T trauma is all that stuff that we classically and conceptually hold, like being in a war, like a traumatic death, sexualized violence, you know, terror, robbery, all of those things that are quite, you know, like you're like, wow, like airplane crash, that, that was bad. Yeah. Like we know that and we societally honor for the most part that that would lead to PTSD. Little T trauma is, is so much more nuanced and personal and specific. And it really has to deal with that, that lack of holding and attunement. So it, a lot of it is oftentimes developmental, meaning like I didn't receive the thing I needed back then. I'll use an example that I often use that comes from Perogo Does Michaels, who's also a psychotherapist in Vancouver. Um, but I love this example. So, she, you know, she invites you to imagine you're a small child, you've made macaroni art, there's like gold and glitter, and you're like super excited about your macaroni art. You come home and you show it to your, your, your father, if you have a father, and he gives you no response. And so you, you know, you're resilient, you're resourceful, you know, your macaroni art is great. You don't know what's wrong with him. You go to maybe your other parental figure and and they close the door and they're also not interested. And you're left with this feeling of like, well, I thought my macaroni art was great, but the two people in the world who are supposed to validate me and hold me and support me don't care. So maybe I'm wrong and, and maybe I shouldn't share and and that is a moment of, of trauma. That is a, a little T moment. But what ends up happening is we accumulate all of these little T moments throughout our life. Mm-hmm. The, the partner who doesn't text us back, the, the boyfriend in high school who cheats on us with our best friend, like the this, that, and the other thing, all of these things add up. And they're just as big as a big T. And they're differently stored in the central nervous system. And as someone who, you know, story fits big T trauma land, I can, I can say with quite confidence in my personal kind of experiences that having so much big T trauma gave my central nervous system, my mind body connection, a certain resiliency and resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you have little T traumas and they're all over the place and they're this, that, and you don't know what's going on, that resiliency and resourcefulness isn't cultivated in the same way that big T trauma is. And so there's, it's just so much differently held and worked with psychotherapeutically and requires so much honoring that it is real. There's nothing unreal about feeling unmet, unseen, unheld. They're just really different. Do you find that it's just so much harder to actually crack that code of the root problem because it's such a consistency of little things that like, for me, at least it was like, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, that was the most frustrating thing is like, sometimes maybe I, and this sounds so bad. I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes you, I felt like it would be easier to explain if I had a specific event that made sense. Totally. Um, someone explained it to me really well once. I was in like this weekend development course program and the instructor was like, imagine you're a little kid and you're just out there and 
same thing, your macaroni thing and that macaroni instance, now you're wearing a pair of glasses and you're walking around and you see the world through those lenses. But then someone says to you something else in the schoolyard. So now you're wearing two pairs of glasses and then this happens to you. So you keep piling them on and she's like, and by the time you're like eight, you're wearing, you're looking through like 14 pairs of lenses that help shape your world that maybe not have built like this, what you perceive to be like your new reality. Mm -hmm. And all I could think about was like, damn, Mm -hmm. I probably am wearing a million pairs of glasses and I can't even tell you who made them. (laughs) Yeah. When, so the clientele that I have is pretty like split between like the big T classic and the little T. And even that example you use, like the, I don't know, super, super common. And when I hear that, I always get curious. I'm like, okay, you're telling me you don't know. So there's like maybe some interesting people pleasing, not wanting to be judged, bookmark that. But also if a client is coming in and that's their repetitive thing, like doesn't look like or sound like, at least from the information I have, that they've had an embodied experience of someone coaching them and teaching them to name their emotional world and experience. And then I go, well, where are they emotionally held? who was asking them questions about how they felt. If they yeah. can't tell me in psychotherapy how they feel, has anyone ever asked before? Because it's a skill. And my client isn't showing me they have that skill, which is really fine, but wow. we're going to work on the skill. So even that I don't know is a pretty good hallmark around like, you know, I got yellow red flags going up in my head. Wow, that's literally me. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's, she's talking about me. I'm like, oh my God, this is actually me. <laughs> I get so annoyed. Sometimes I'll be in a session. I'll be like, why are you here? You don't know anything. Like, just like go home until you figure it out. And then, yeah, that, that curiosity around like, what is the I don't know place? And I definitely... I had that and I had a really sharp feminist psychotherapist in my early 20s and she one day I was doing my I don't know dance I did that all the time and she was like you do know something and I was like I do she's like you know that you don't know (laughs) and I was just like okay and then she's like what else do you know and I was like I don't want to be here anymore I'm no longer safe exactly Exactly. (laughs) and she used her like aggressive transference to activate me into something else that wasn't submission and fawning right very bold psychotherapeutic move I want to say that that's (laughs) like that's bold but she was bold and it worked and so that's even something now when I internally I'm like I don't know do I like that person and I go into that place I'll bring in some of that kind of activative like no I do know I do believe that I have the answer it's hard for me to access it but I'm going to really like I'm going to I'm going to believe that I and see what comes from that place wow sorry we totally derailed there I know I asked you about sexual trauma and now we're like back we're back (laughs) deep into the therapy world um yes okay so we know the difference between big t little t and how they kind of accumulate or happen in our lives um but yeah I think a really common thing in conversations with other women is them not realizing what little t traumas are like in terms of sexual experiences Yes, this is one that I am so like passionate about. Um, and I use this example in my therapy space. If you go to an Italian restaurant, say you like Italian food, and you know that you want the ravioli with the pumpkin, like this, that, and the other thing, 
you remember the next day that you said yes to that thing on the menu. Yeah. It's pretty easy. That's what I wanted. I got it. Why is having sex with someone or sexual interaction with someone any different? If you don't remember that embodied feeling, you know, of craving that you can have around food or experience, if you don't remember that feeling around your sexuality or a sexual experience, then there's something to get curious about. And I say this with such like emphatic kind of vigor and don't, you know, and really kind of make it clear that there, there is something here to look into and investigate because we are all so indoctrined in patriarchy and misogyny mm-hmm. and male privilege is so unbelievably real around women's bodies or the bodies of any other person, men as well, depending on where you are positioned in that social based hierarchy, SES hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important to be curious if I didn't have that embodied experience of saying yes, and I don't remember that, then what was going on? Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, sexual assault or sexual violation, but it does yeah. mean something else could be playing out there. Yeah. And I think that's such like an interesting thing to talk about because I think of like past partners and I feel very fortunate to at no point feel like I was ever asked to do anything against my own will but I actually now the more I become more aware part of my flashbacks are like wait I actually didn't feel great doing something or just like being in a space of energy that I shouldn't have been in Mm -hmm. um (laughs) sorry I have like flashbacks as I like say this to you but yeah, it is crazy to think back to certain situations to be like, huh, how, I don't want to say how did I allow that to happen, but like, how was I okay with like that being my experience? Mm-hmm. And that ties into so much of that conditioning of, you know, tend and befriend or fawning. We're all kind of create this self-deception narrative that I'm like having fun and it's a cool party and it's this, that, and the other thing. And so I'm emotionally regulating myself while I'm present moment deceiving myself around what's actually happening. One part of me is it knows what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. But the other parts of me are creating this other narrative so I can stay here and feel safe or empowered or just okay. Yeah. What are common... Um like really common examples of like little T trauma that you see come up quite frequently in the realm of like sexuality. Yeah. 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 Um, Lots of little T trauma around boundary violation, like so much boundary violation. And you know, that I could go into the realm of like, you know, bigger ones of sexual assault, but even just those ones of like, you know, numbers, like asking for someone's number and it's a no or like that little t trauma of like I can't say no so I'll have to lie and say that I have a partner so that they back off Mm. you add like lots of those into your life experience and you've created a narrative of like I'm only safe beside x type of partner Mm -hmm. so though like those are like little t traumas that can happen you know the space of infidelity is like such a huge one or social media like my goodness, the amount of sessions I've had with people who have legitimate trauma around social media because their partner is doing this, that, and the other thing on there is huge. It's like, oof. 
Um, and it looks so small and innocent, but it's not small and innocent when we're repetitively being compared against each other. Yeah. And you just don't feel safe. I think like that's a a big thing. When I tried to summarize it, I was like, there's certain situations that I've been in the past where I didn't actually feel emotionally safe Mm -hmm. and maybe acts of intimacy were done to try and save a relationship or rekindle or like save something that I think I might lose or yeah I don't yeah it's it's interesting especially when for most most people who've been oriented towards being femme identifying their sexuality has been taught to be the social currency this is how I get what I want this is where I go I practice these aesthetic things I do this with my body to look good and if that's how you're trained then how do you set a boundary and say no or you're walking down the street and someone comments on your body and it makes you feel inappropriate where have you learned to say like no you can't comment on my body in that way That's one of my biggest triggers. Like when I will say something, I'd be like, that's not okay. And all of a sudden I'm the bitch. And I'm like, I'm the bitch. Like (laughs) you just hissed at me on the street. Like I'm some animal and somehow I'm the bitch. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Um, And all of those things add up into, you know, creating a central nervous system and a relationship to the self where when something larger does happen or there is potential for something larger to happen where it's it's next to impossible to to say no or, or remove oneself from the situation. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, if someone was looking to start working on themselves and understanding maybe where some of their patterns or feeling known or unknown feelings are stemming from and maybe they're haven't done anything like yet what what do you recommend to be like first steps of like discovery to lead up to working with someone like you yeah this I love 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 more cognitive based psychotherapy it's I think because I do have some really strong like intellectual cognitive parts. And so I always recommend like something like narrative therapy, if therapy is what you want to work with, or if it's a coach or it's finding a journaling practice and also like finding some type of movement that allows you to have a different state of being. So it doesn't have to be you know, somatic in the essence of like, I'm using my movement practice to kind of find things that are unconscious and process them but just something that brings you into your body and shifts your state. So I always kind of recommend, you know, those are really beautiful gateways and access points, like things like yoga or running and also like more traditional, like talk-based psychotherapy, um, which is stuff that I do. And I have people who come to me just for that. Um, It's really like starting to develop that relationship to the self. I love that. Um, Thank you so much for chatting with us today I feel like we just kind of opened a little bit a tiny (laughs) tiny (laughs) bit of the box and people were like whoa okay that's a lot (laughs) um but yeah I think it's such an important topic of conversation because I think we walk around most of our lives just completely closed off to everything and sometimes we know we need to make changes or maybe we want to make changes but we're not always supported or they're overwhelming or they're scary or Mm -hmm. they end up creating more trauma and you're like, I knew I shouldn't have done it. And so, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about 
if you're working with people and how people can work with you, um, I know your Instagram is just a great free resource as well for like all the knowledge that you put out, but yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you sell yourself. (laughs) Um, So my practice right now is fully virtual. Um, I am seeing clients in person for a little bit longer in Vancouver, um, but I will be transitioning to London, England, and continuing my graduate studies in at the University College London and the University of Sydney around everything that we've spoken about, representations of the body, reproductive health, the narratives we have around, yeah, femme-identifying bodies. I definitely got inspired by the Roe v. Wade to be like, I'm going to go back to school and get yeah. some fancy letters to do some things. Um, so that just honoring there's like some shift in my practice in that way. But when people come to work with me, it's it's oftentimes out of this desire, this, this knowing something happened or something doesn't feel right, or there is complete disconnect from the body. And they have this curiosity of like, what is this thing? Or, or because I've spent so much time in the realm of sexuality of like, you know, why was my twenties, this deep period of hypersexuality? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or the opposite I, I'm so disconnected from my sexuality and my body I don't know what that looks like and then once we're in the space together I do really titrate between the cognitive you know talk-based therapy and the somatics because I'm not in the position where I think the the body is the biggest wisest resource we have it definitely is one and so is our mind and the best resource we have is the relationship between mind body heart or mind body soul and so you know oftentimes people are underskilled in connecting to their body and they have the mind so like let's use that as an ally and a resource to bring them together so that it it they can be together and that the body can then just be one more resource you have around wisdom and learning and how to orient your life. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. I'm going to link all of your details in the show notes. So people, yeah. you guys can go check out Ailey's Instagram, her website, all of that good stuff. Um, and I highly do recommend it because your posts on Instagram are fire. They're so great. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with us today. I hope for anyone that's listening, it kind of inspires you to start digging a little bit. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Unfiltered with Ali. Just a friendly reminder that I have new episodes that drop every single week, including some bonus content called Honey Check, co-hosted with my best friend, Jenna Garrow, where we catch up for some classic girl talk. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe to the show. And of course, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I love hearing what you guys think of the episodes, but it helps support the show so much. Lastly, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at at unfilteredwithally. You'll be able to access a ton of extra content from each of the episodes, slide into my DMs, and you can find the link for my free online Facebook community. This is designed for inspiring, badass women all around the world. Can't wait to chat with you next week. Bye.